Hello and welcome to yet another edition of Kylie Minogue, The Diminutive Collection. Every week, Kieran and Christy G revisit the pop boomerangs, classic albums, and relive some of her finer moments. And in order to compile the most definitive Kylie collection yet, we will choose two of the best songs from each of her studio albums that make us feel all Kylie smiling. And then the dodgy ditties that are Kylie Minogue's. So this week, we step back in time to September 94, where we see Kylie in a whole new light. Kylie's gone hip and returns with yet another new sound. We're talking about Kylie Minogue or Kylie 94, as us fans know it and like to call it. So Christian, what did you think about this album? Uh, what did I think about this album? Um, well, there was a lot of anticipation, wasn't there? Because um, having left PWL, we didn't know where she was going to go, what kind of direction she was going to take. And then I think it was mid or late 1993, wasn't it? That mm. um, she kind of, it was announced that she was working with Deconstruction and that she might be working with uh, Brothers and Rhythms. So we kind of knew that it, it was kind of maybe a dance direction. So she, she wasn't moving too far away from um, where she was going. But there was a lot of expectation because I obviously had grown up with four years of PWL, Stockett Kim Waterman's perfectly perfect ditties. Um, and so I was a bit kind of concerned that she may lose what made her special for those four years. Because for me, they were the best four years I could ever ask for from a pop princess. What about did you? you? Did, well, did you buy this album when it first came out? Did you go and like, buy it on the first day of release? Well, I did because I was such a massive Kylie fan. I mean, as I said, I had lived through four albums, The Greatest Hits and A Partridge in a Pear Tree. So <laughs> when I was waiting for this, um, there was so much anticipation because during this period of time while she was recording away, I think she was recording this album for a year, which is kind of long for her. She was used to doing it in two weeks and barely you know, having any input whatsoever. So... Um, you, know, you, you would hear little bits of gossip about uh, what, what kind of music she was doing, who she was working with. And, and so my mind was boggled about what to expect. So um, I was very excited about the release. And, then I, and uh, when, the, when the album finally arrived in the shops, I was straight out the door to get it because I was desperate to hear what was on the album because I was so excited. Um, and obviously before that, you know, we'd seen pictures of the cover. We'd obviously heard one of the songs by that point. Mm. So, I mean, the album cover looked really kind of sleek and stunning. I mean, the imagery, the photography. The Rankin looked incredible, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Rankin photos looked incredible. That impressed me a hell of a lot. I thought, now this is a good start. Uh, it was completely different to anything that we'd seen with PWL. It wasn't, actually, it reminded, reminded me a little bit of the Rhythm of Love covers in the sense that it had that kind of quite cool coolness. There was a, a cool sheen to the pictures and it looked very mm. unlike anything else. But, but um, yeah, I was very impressed by what I saw. I, I, have a, I have a confession to make. When it first came out, I didn't actually buy it. <laughs> I know, I, I taped it off a friend's tape. So I had a pirate copy of this album for years and didn't oh, actually put... Yeah, because I, I, I just think as a 14-year-old, I, at that time, I don't think I was ready for this album. I, <laughs> I, I adore it now. I absolutely mm. adore this album now. But as a 14-year-old, I wasn't ready to take that next step. Hence why I probably I didn't want to spend... I probably spent it on a Samantha Fox album, the money I had, and wow. recorded this off from a next-door neighbour. <laughs> Um, I loved Confide in Me, but just, just going back to the actual look, I, the look of the album with the whole minimalistic kind of look and feel, I, I, I kind of knew before even listening to the album when I had it at my neighbours looking through it, you know, the cassette deck thing, um, that it was, we were going to be in for something a little bit different. And I wonder how Kylie became so hip for this album. Do you think it's because she could have went away from the public profile and she signed to this trendy new independent label that people thought she was hip? Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it all kind of started with Michael Hutchins. And I think he gave her the seal of approval anyway, really early on. So the fact that he could go out with someone like Kylie, who was at one point seen as a bubblegum pop star who, you know, was probably going to be a flash in the pan. Obviously she wasn't. So mm. I think that had already set up as being cool. And then obviously the, the 
four singles that came off Rhythm of Love were so cool. The videos were cool. The songs were cool. She looked amazing. She was starting to work with great people, great photographers at that point, great directors for videos. So I think in some ways, she was beginning to move in different circles with people. Yeah. So um, I think that probably helped quite a lot in terms of making people think that she was a bit cooler than she was. Obviously, she worked with Brothers and Rhythm on... Um, Finer Feelings. Mm, I think Finer Feelings was a turning point for her in the future direction of this album because she said it was her favourite on the album, um, Let's Get To It, Finer Feelings mm. was, and that, you know, she loved what Brothers and Rhythm did with the single. Mm. So, um, yeah, I... Because I think when people said that she was signing to this dance label, that they, we actually, well, people would have thought that it was going to be more like, you better the devil, you know, more club bangers. But oh, mm. how we were wrong. Um, I, think, I think in some ways, Kylie's coolness was given uh, a bit of a boost by the, the general media. Uh, she'd kind of moved away from the Smash It's audience. Um, the fans had kind of moved on from her. They found younger, fresher stars. And I think um, a lot more kind of like the cooler magazines were, beginning to see her as a bit of a style icon. I think that came from working with people like um, photographers like Ellen von Unworth and, and yeah. Katerina Yeb, um, or Jeb, I'm not sure how you pronounce her name. But she, um, I think working with people like that, that kind of gave her a bit more kind of, um, that opened doors to her. And ultimately, I think that kind of made people see her as uh, a much more interesting figure. And uh, at one point, Select Magazine described her as the coolest woman in music. So when you compare to five years beforehand where they were calling her a pop puppet who had no talent and couldn't sing. Now all the kind of trendy magazines uh, were kind of describing her as this kind of cool figure. Kylie began recording the album in 93 and Steve actually said in an interview that Steve Anderson um, said, when she came into the studio, her voice was the sound of PWL. Throughout the course of the recording of the album, she gained confidence in her vocals and was, and was surprised at what she could do. Um, I, I think this, for me, this album sounds like Kylie's most consistent album to date. Uh, up until now, you know, Rhythm of Love was a little bit mismatch. Like, uh, uh, so let's get to it. There was a few kind of ditties in there that didn't quite fit in with the whole concept of the album. This one, you can tell each track on this album was meant to be for this album. Um, I say that, but with the last track, a little bit different with the M People track. I know that's, that's probably what you were going to say, but we can discuss that after. <laughs> Well, I, I was going to say that, I mean, if we're talking about, so I'll explain. So when I picked up the album and rushed home with it, I put it on. And I'm going to have to confess that I haven't really listened to the album much over the years because it always kind of left me a little bit cold because I didn't really like it. Uh, but having revisited it recently, I realised it's actually a very cohesive, very, very, very good album. <laughs> and I'm actually, I'm going to tell myself off now for not listening to it for 20 years because I realised that some of the songs on there are actually very, very good. I think... Like yourself, I probably wasn't ready for this. I said last week that I thought Kylie was moving too fast on her PWL album. She'd gone from pop to kind of experimental pop on Enjoy Yourself. She'd gone to the kind of really cool club sounds of Rhythm of Love and, uh, and then the kind of like R&B in, in That's Good Shape. And we didn't, she didn't give herself enough time for us to get used to those, those genres that she was trying to kind of like master. So for this one, I mean, for me, I, will, I, can, I describe this album as like a coffee table album. It's slick and it's sophisticated. It's ageless. It, it, it has an age. You can listen to it now and it sounds like it came out last week. Hmm. I would think, you know, and that's a testament because this album is 25 years old or something like that. 26 uh, years old. 26 years old. Wow. <laughs> um, it was yeah, released September 94. The highest position was, num it went to number four in the UK and number two in Australia, hmm. um, which is great. Which is interesting because, I mean, you'd expect this kind of, there was so much hype about Kylie coming back, 
and coming back in as new guys, um, you'd think that it would have gone high, it would have been a chart topper, which I'm, I'm disappointed about, to be honest. But um, I guess it was also at a time when there was a bit of Kylie lethargy, I think, because Kylie had been so famous for so long, she was in our faces for so long. Mm. Those who didn't like her, it was, uh, even though the press, the music press were beginning to see the turnaround and she did magazines like The Face and she did Sky Magazine and all these kind of really cool magazines. Even though she was in, in those, I think the public took a bit longer to kind of come around to the fact that Kylie was actually a great pop singer because I think they still had in their heads, oh, she's that cheesy pop star from, from uh, PWL. I think Australia embraced this Kylie more than the UK, it seems, with the number two in Australia. I mean, her, to go back to Let's Get To It, it only reached number 13 in Australia, the album. Um, and this went to number two. So I think maybe the Australian audience more kind of embraced this change in this direction. Uh, a little bit more than the UK. Well, I mean, the Australian, I mean, I guess the music had a bit more kind of depth and a bit more credibility. So maybe, I mean, I'm assuming, I mean, us in the UK, we kind of, at that point, we kind of really liked kind of disposable, cheap bubblegum pop music. And I think mm. perhaps Australia is a country that kind of prefers music that has depth and uh, authenticity. And I guess in some ways, because... And they love album, their rock. They love their rock and their cold chisel and Jimmy yeah. Barnes. And yeah, yeah. yeah so, so, I mean, I think this album, even though it's a dance album, it's got a lot going in it. You know, there's real instruments, there's real orchestras, there's, you can hear real percussion. So I guess this was kind of more of a traditional old school album. It wasn't kind mm. of like, press the button on the Bon Tempe and see what hit comes out. Should we discuss the first single that came from this album, Confide in Me? Oh, well, let's. Uh, well, it came, uh, came out in August 94, went to number two in the UK and number one in Australia. Um, and it, I remember watching this video clip for the first time and just seeing the one five 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 confide and put your hand up on the screen and thought, okay, this is amazing. This is something else. And, and just listen, it was so different to anything that was out in the mm. market at that time. I'd never heard a pop song like it. And the chorus, it, it, was, it, it was a revelation, absolute revelation. Now you see, before I get to hearing the song, I knew the song was coming up at some point in, in 94. And it was, um, I was desperate to hear the first play. And I think I had heard somewhere that they were going to do a first play in Radio 1 at some point. And so I was all, and I never listened to Radio 1 at that point because it wasn't my kind of radio station, but I had it on all the time so I could catch the first listen of the song. Never heard it, but I had it on, kept missing it wherever it was. Used to go to bed at night and I'd have the radio on just in case I would wake up and hear it. The one night at four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I heard, and I don't know why I knew this was Kylie, but I woke up to the song. So obviously she was drawing me out of my sleep. Um, I heard the Big Brothers remix, the big mm -hmm. long version, you know, the 10 minute version. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I heard that and I kind of thought, oh God, this is a weird one for Kylie. And I thought this was the main single. I thought that's very weird. And then I heard the bit at the end of that where it's got the, I can't keep a secret. And I thought, oh my God, is that the song? Because that's part of that song is absolutely sensational. Why <laughs> that never became a song in its own right. I have no idea because that is brilliant, that, that end section of that song. Yeah. So yeah. I thought, oh God, so this is the Kylie single. This really weird one. It's got a lot of things going on in there. I was very confused. Then I heard the, the, the proper version and then my mind exploded because to me it was, I mean, the words I can only think of were like majestic and, and it was cinematic. And yeah, it's gorgeous. It's lavish and gorgeous. There's all these descriptive words. I've, I've, you'd never hear anything like it. It was insane. Right. Well, that's the thing. I'd, I'd never heard of anything quite like it. I guess the, the closest I'd heard to it were the Pet Shop Boys where, you know, I think they've got songs like, um, what's that song? But, you know, they've got lots of orchestras. Like Left to My Own Devices. It's got that amazing opening orchestra section. And then to hear this, I mean, with the Kylie version, the edit version, where it begins with the da 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 
I mean, when I heard that for the first time, it was dramatic. It was, mm, it, was, it, was it was insane to me because it's, I thought I thought one I loved it because I play the violin, so I, I love orchestral music, and to hear this kind of majestic uh, anthem, it actually blew my mind away because it was more than I could ever ever have imagined, and it actually made me very very excited about what the album could have. So ultimately, when I got the album, I was kind of disappointed that nothing ever lived up to that song. Mm. I think that's why I had a problem with the album when I, when I did get my hands on it, because nothing sounded as good as Confide in Me. The video was an outstanding achievement. Um, it, still to this day, I watched it yesterday in preparation for this, and it's still a great video. And it, I, when I was watching it, I also thought Kylie throughout her career has always had in her videos... Uh, this is not the first time we see it. It was in Never Too Late, where you see different vignettes of different Kylies. So you've got her as, you know, the, in, in Confide in Me, a military Kylie, a druggy Kylie, a happy Kylie with an egg background. And I think, and then you see it again in, in, in the Impossible Princess uh, era. I just, I just loved this video so much. And it, it's, it's brilliant. And also she really properly does experiment with her image. In this video, she doesn't look like she's just dressing up out of a dressing up box. I think the Never Too Late video, you know, she put on that kimono, well, it wasn't a kimono, it was kind of like a, a nice Japanese dress. Yeah. Uh, and a cowboy outfit, but it looked like it was, at, you know, one of those parties you're at with uh, <laughs> one of those uh, photo booths, you just put the yeah. cowboy hat on. Yeah. This video was a proper, I mean, it, in some ways, if you to take stills of the video, it was like a shoot from a, a style magazine. I mean, the ones that pop into my head now without, without having seen it for a while, uh, you know, she's got the afro, and, and uh, is she wearing the black PVC in, in, in that uh, with that hair? Yes, she is. With the yeah, the kind of curly yeah. hair. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, she looks stunning in that. And then you've got the yellow little jacket, and her hair is kind of like a little yeah. bit more prim. Yeah. Just, it, it's an amazing video, and it, uh, like the song itself, I don't think it's dated. No, badly. Oh, I think it looks like if that was on in the background, do you think it was now? What I really liked about the video, it's the kind of the first time that we see Kylie up close and her eyes are the star. If you, <laughs> I noticed it yesterday. She's got these most incredible eyes and they are the star of this video because they're, they're shot in a way where it's, she's looking straight to camera in some, some scenes. It looks incredible. Absolutely incredible. In Australia, the song went to number one for five weeks, winning the ARI Award for single and video. Um, it was the own, it was Australia's biggest song of the year and was Kylie's oh. commercial single of the whole entire 90s. Okay, over here, unfortunately, it only got to number two. And I, oh, it breaks my heart because sometimes great music isn't rewarded by sales. It must have been Wet 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 that was number one at that point. Um, but there was a reason why it didn't, get, it didn't go to number one. But, you know, it, it felt like it was a crime because it was such a good song. Was, you know, I think for the first time, and probably still to this day, aside from maybe can't get out of my head, this is a song that where Kylie set the agenda for the first time. It didn't sound like she was taking somebody else's sound. Um, Do you think in a way that this, Kylie's had a lot of different comebacks, I'm doing the air quotes with this. So do you think this could have been her first comeback song? After the disappointment of Let's Get To It, you've got Confide In Me, then you've got Spinning Around, then you've got Can't Get You Out Of My Head. Do you think they're the, her three comeback singles thus far of her career? Yeah, so uh, yeah, this was definitely the first comeback because this was uh, her whole a whole new image for her. Mm. Um, so yeah, this is definitely one of those moments where it was. I mean, this was a whole career shift. She was turning a corner on on her. You know, she was leaving Disco leaving. Street and <laughs> heading on to uh, Dance Floor Avenue. So yeah, uh, EDM Avenue, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the single cover I remember when I bought it on cassette. I always have a every time I think of. 
confide in me, I always think of Silence of the Lambs because I bought the cassette single of Confide in Me and a VHS of Silence of the Lambs on the same day. And I was a happy, like, 14-year-old. And I st- every time I hear Confide in Me, I always think of Clarice Starling. Um, but the actual, having the eyes on that cover, so the Australian mm. uh, one had the eyes with the, with the two cracking B-sides, which we need to talk about. Yes. Yeah, the eyes, incredible. Now, you see, that is kind of a weird thing, if you think about it, because, I mean... That, the, the, the cover, which is basically a black and white blurry picture of two eyes in close-up at an angle. Um, when you look at that, I mean, that's totally different to anything Kai had had before. I mean, you could tell that there was more sophistication, more intelligence involved because they were kind of suggesting that the audience who were buying the records were going to be slightly more intelligent. I don't think they were trying to resurrect her team fan base. I think they, could, they wanted to kind of encourage people who were a bit more kind of wary and a bit more kind of... Uh, something about them because it was a, a lot more suggestive as opposed to straight in your face glamour mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, there, were, there were two CDs that confided me and their covers um, uh, were, were kind of like quite interesting too because they were both of Kylie with these kind of like kind of dready um, ringlets mm-hmm. um, and she wasn't, she wasn't looking at the camera, she wasn't, you know, giving, she wasn't giving the, the person picking up the record that, that direct into the eye like they do in magazines. It was, you know, kind of very atmospheric, very kind of... Uh, seductive is very stunning imagery i loved it nothing can stop us now was the first the first b-side on the confide in me album i feel like when i hear this song i feel like i'm in new york in a cab when dawn's breaking coming home from a really big night out that's how it makes me feel like i'm just you know i've had a few drinks i'm chilled this the sax and the sound the violins this this song transport me to a place i've never been and always want to be like always want to go i love it I'm assuming in Australia you hadn't heard of St. Etienne by this point. Oh, God, no. No, my, I listened to Samantha Fox, Banana Rama, and Kylie Minogue, so no. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure what to say about that. But, but I mean, over here, St. Etienne weren't particularly popular, but I had just, just discovered them at this point, too. And they were this kind of like indie pop band who had very, very cool sounds, and they released this record already. So this was a song that they'd already recorded and was on, um, on their first album. And uh, it was a great, I mean, it was a song, actually, it was a, it was a song that wasn't particularly my favourite by them. I, I fell in love with subsequent songs. St. Etienne is made up of Sarah Cracknell, Bob Stanley and Pete Wiggs, and they understand what makes a great pop song. So when they write great pop songs, they produce songs that are as good as a Kylie Minogue song, but it's produced in, in a, with a kind of indie sheen, so it sounds a bit cooler. So when they recorded this song, which is very close to the original, they also recorded another song called When Are You Coming Home? And I remember reading an interview with Seti and saying, oh yeah, we've submitted some songs to Kylie. She's recorded uh, Nothing Can Stop Us and she's recorded um, this other song that they produced. But, they thought the so- but Kylie thought the song was too poppy and so dismissed it. Now, if you listen to what St. Etienne were producing at that point, like Hug My Soul, um, Hail movie. These were top anthems. So I would kill to hear the demo version of it, to hear Kylie's version of it. Just even the title makes me get excited because it has that kind of like, oh, I thought it just sounds camp and poppy. But I can maybe, if it was like that, I can see why it didn't make the final cut. Well, if someone has a pirate copy out there of, of this song, just send it over to us, the Kylie Smiley podcast at gmail.com. Well, I, I'm thinking that nothing was ever released because over the years I have tried my hardest to, to hear it. And I've even tweeted St. Etienne saying, I'd love to hear the demo of it, but to no avail, unfortunately. But maybe well, we, we can encourage that. 
yeah, we're throwing it out to the universe now. So let's hope. But, but, but just a, a word of advice. I think if you've never heard the works of St. Etienne, by all means do, because their songs are sensational. He's on the phone, Pale Movie, Who Do You Think You Are? They're great, great pop songs. Okay, that's my evening sorted. Thank you, Christian. Have you, have, you, have you never listened to them, Kieran? No, absolutely no. I have no idea. I'm sending you a playlist. Great. I'm really uncultured, I told you. Last week, Kieran, I was the one who told you about the holiday and what kind of fool mashup. I can't believe you never heard it. I, I know, but again, that, that it's kind of, you know, a little bit kind of left to centre. Like, I'm sure there's loads of Kylie fans out there that don't know about that remix. But did but you love it? I fucking loved it. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Mm. Mm. Yeah, dance around the living room. Well, yeah, it's amazing. We'll have to try and put it on our um, Instagram in some way without it being removed. <laughs> yes. Try. Anyway, yes. Yeah. The, the, the next um, B-side on that single was If You Don't Love Me, which is stunning. Oh. Um, it's just a simple piano backing and a vocal sound so incredible. And apparently this is Sean, which is her tour manager. It's, her, it's his favourite song. And um, oh. it's brilliant. It's, it's, she's, she did it at the anti-tour, I believe, as well, live, which was great. Well, this was a cover of a song by a group called Prefab Sprout. When I heard this, I mean, I knew of the song before. I'd heard the tune, but this is a completely different version. Um, and it, it stunned me. It, in a way, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Telltale Signs from Enjoy Yourself because it had that kind of similar sound. But I think this demonstrated her vocal range perfectly. I've n I didn't know she could reach those notes. So it was a, a brilliant example of how, how talented Kylie actually is. And it was, it's a great showcase song. Brilliant. Mm. It's a shame, in a way, these, these two songs didn't make it onto the album, but then I guess as a whole, they don't fit. But yeah, that, that, that ballad is absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. And around this time, because we're now in August, um, around this time, the, the, the record label were really pushing out um, promotion for this album and they released two special kind of promotional act, um, activity around this and the first one was the Kylie promo book which was released Ooh. in August it is probably one of the most rarest pieces of Kylie memorabilia out there um, the book is a Texas publication made up of a, a 30 I think 32 a3 size images all tied together with binding it was given away uh, for promotional use and it was basically photos by C Katrina Jeb and Ellen Von Onworth um, and then the second one is the Kylie Bible, which was released in September the following month. And this is also very extremely collectible, but it was given away as part of the Dazed and Confused publication. Um, oh. and it is 16 pages of photos from Rankin. So those two are the most kind of rarest Kylie um, memorabilia items out there. And I think one, I think the Kylie Bible's on eBay for about $1,000 or something. Oh, really? Yeah. I've, I've, I've never seen either of them. I remember hearing about it. I remember she was on... GMTV, TVAM, whichever morning program it was, and she was on there talking about having this, uh, this style book. But, all, but I think people confused, because there was a lot of criticism at the time, and people said, oh, it's like you're copying Madonna's sex book. Mm. There was no sex in it. She wasn't being gangbanged in a S&M club. Um, it was actually a very beautiful kind of style uh, piece, but it was also a promotional publication. So it was sent out to mainly the, you know, the cool magazines to kind of, I think to suggest to those magazines that Kylie was now not a teen pop star anymore. She yeah. was now a kind of a fashion icon. Yeah. So, um, and I'm gutted. I never, ever saw it. I saw, I've seen pictures online. I've seen pictures on, in, uh, in magazines, but I've never, sadly, I've never held one in my hands. So that's Neither another thing. I. And I'm yeah. gutted about that. I'm furious. <laughs> so let's go on to the second track on the album, which is Surrender. Mm. Um, which is the shortest song on the album at four minutes and 26 seconds. <laughs> um, I feel like with this song, I think this is 
what let's the, the production and sound of this song is what let's get to it should have been because the production is so slick and yeah, basically you know what i would love i would love brothers and rhythm to basically reproduce let's get to it for the 40th anniversary <gasps> that'd be lovely it'll be amazing absolutely amazing but it's the kind of a song that i feel when you listen to it i feel like just laying back on the sofa nursing that hangover and, and it's just really quite chill and it's it's very slick and i, I really like it as a mm. second second track i i liked it now as i said before when i had bought the album i was hoping that every song was going to be as spectacular as confide in me so when i heard the second song follow it it was completely different so all i could be was slightly disappointed by it but as i said and now i've been listening to it again recently it's actually a brilliant song and it's got i, I, I tell a lie at the time i liked it i got used to it i played the album so many times because i wanted to get you know hear every song a few times so i could hear what they sounded like and it did kind of like it, it was it's one of those earworms it was a good song it in my head though it just wasn't as spectacular as I wanted it to be. Mm, well, you know, it's a t- hard act to follow, following on from Confide in Me. I mean, when they, when they sat there, I, I mean, I'm not quite sure when Confide in Me happened in the recording, the scheme of things. Mm. But I mean, when, when, they, when they sat back and listened to that for the first time and they heard that, you know, her vocals amazing, the, the, the orchestra is, is immense. Why the whole album didn't kind of have a similar kind of style? Because it just would have been the most exciting album I'd ever heard. But it feels like we were just teased with this one brilliant song and then there's nothing else like it. It feels like it shouldn't be on this album in some ways. The rest of the album sounds good together. This sounds like it's not right. The next track, If I Was Your Lover, I thought it was, it's very different to anything she's ever done before. And there's, there's some influence in there, some influence sounding from Rhythm of Love. And I looked into it thinking it's got a very US sound and it was actually recorded in the US uh, and produced by Jimmy Harry in america so it's, it's a cool funky track i think it's got a great intro and a good chorus uh but yeah it's something very different this and surrender to me are such a striking contrast to the original song that i i found this one difficult to like as well although the chorus is very good and as i said once you hear it a few times the melodies and you get used to the production once you take confining me out of the picture these songs are strong in their own right and i think that's that's a good thing um mm, yeah but it, it just took me a little. It took me a little bit longer to grow to love them as much as I did the, the first track I heard. The next track is "Where Is the Feeling," and I, th- I know you're going to hate this, but I think it was a mistake releasing this as a single. <gasps> I, I, I know, I know. So, yes, because obviously it's a very, it's a different version on the album than the single release. This sing, this the album version is clocking in at nearly seven minutes, and this single arrived nearly eight months after the second single. So this was the third single, obviously, with Put Yourself in My Place being number two. And I think it suffered because of it in the charts, right? Well, this is a really weird one because this is one of those, this is like the poppiest song of the album. This is like old school Kylie in a way. Um, and the album track was, uh, when I heard it, when I heard that one, my, my spirits were raised. And I thought, ah, oh, this is a great pop song. Now, they must have been having a problem with, maybe the album hadn't sold as well as they thought because it sounded like they were very confused in terms of what to do with the song. Because when it came out, it came out in three versions. So you, you had the kind of Justify My Love style one where it's all breathy. And I absolutely thought it was the most stunning version and that, of it. And that was the one that was released commercially, right? Because that went yeah. to number 16 in the UK and 31 yeah. in Australia. Now, even though it didn't do brilliantly, chart-wise, I think what she did with that song, I thought it was very clever to do something that different. I was actually very impressed that she did something that different. I remember the video where she was splashing around in the sea uh, being stalked by some kind of merman. It's a sexy, sultry, very, very sophisticated yeah. video. But then at the same time as having that version, 
she went on Don't Forget Your Toothbrush and kind of did the album version. And then she went on another TV show where she did this version that was the, the Bish Bosch mix, which sounds a little bit like the Supremes. It's got the da-da-da. So there were three different versions being that's confusing. Okay, from, from a marketing point of view, there's confusion in the market because you don't know, you've got three different things of what you're trying to sell. So I'm, I'm assuming when they put out the Justify My Love Style one, which I think was called the, was it the Dolphin, the Brother and Rhythm Dolphin mix, mm-hmm. which, which is so sexy. It is a brilliant version, but I guess mm-hmm. they saw it wasn't working. So then she, they threw onto TV and said, think these new dance versions, which are much more commercial. Um, but having said that, it's one of my favorite songs. And I've got three different versions now. Well, there's even, there's even more versions, yeah. but those three, they're all amazing different versions of, the, of a song I like. So I'm quite pleased to hear all these different kind of pro- production takes on it. My, my favorite is the album version because it has that flavor of disco, like a chilled disco. Mm. Um, but uh, interesting fact, she was filming that abomination of a movie called Biodome. Um, around this time. So probably that's why the delay in the single as well is for the video because she was filming that, that, that movie at that time. So ah. we'll, just, we'll talk about Street Fighter and Biodome at the end of this podcast. So oh, um, yeah, we, we can't let those two go. Uh, the next track on the album is also the second single that was released, Put Yourself in My Place, released in November 94, went to number 11 in the UK and number 11 in Australia, um, which is gr- the video, iconic absolutely iconic the video is amazing it's kind of based on the barbarella yep. scene she's wearing an electric pink astronauts outfit and bit by bit each part of the, the outfit kind of comes free and we're left with this kind of uh well we're left with a nude kylie um kind of floating in the kind of uh, chamber but she but kylie looks sensational in this she's she incredible looks, beautiful she, her hair's this kind of weird orangey blonde she looks like she looks like um, Bridget Bardo and Pamela Anderson at the same time, oh, and yeah. she just looks absolutely stunning in it. And the bright electric pink outfit she was wearing, the colours, the, the whole kind of imagery in the video is, is beautiful to look at. And you know, the, the kind of getting naked part of it takes the whole video, so it's a really kind of like sensual and kind of sexy, but also kind of just really bright and fun video. And years later, another singer called Gem, she borrowed the whole Barbarella part for one of her singles. It was interesting to see that somebody else tried to replicate the same thing that Kylie did. But I think Kylie probably did it better than the Barbarella film herself. This single came out eight weeks after Confide in Me. So quite short, short time uh, period. Um, was produced by Jimmy Harry, who uh, produced If I Was Your Lover. Um, and who also produced RuPaul's Supermodel. Interesting fact. Mm. Um, I, I, I was kind of excited by that, you see, because when I heard that he had produced it, I thought, oh, it's going to be a bit like Supermodel. Then when I heard it, I just thought it was a little bit kind of like a bit kind of ploddy and slow. It was never one that kind of really excited me. So I play this to death on the album. It's one of my favourites. Yeah. This and Confide in Me. They're both yeah. very different. Uh, it was her most expensive video to date. Um, the video was edited and banned on some kid, kids' TV shows due to the sexual nature. Um, which is you basically she's naked at the end floating around again her eyes I can't I keep talking about her eyes but her her eyes during this period were phenomenal she looked great I mean the the lighting in it was very good too because she's almost bleached she's bleached out in the video nothing it almost looks kind of cartoon like yeah Um, but it's um, it's a stunning video I mean it's one of the again that hasn't dated either you saw that on MTV now I mean it looks the kind of colours and the whole setting of it looks a little bit like, a, I can imagine Nicki Minaj coming in for a, mid, a midway rap or something because she would fit into the video really well. <laughs> but Nicki Minaj was but a twinkle in Kylie's eye back then. So, uh, <laughs> so that never happened. 
Dangerous Game is the next track. So this one is, you know, it's very dramatic. Uh, when, I, when I was listening to it again in preparation for this, I thought this sounds like a bit of a Bond theme tune. Ooh. You've got that kind of elevating production and uh, it's, it's a slower, more melodic. I really liked it. Very dramatic song. At the time, I didn't like it. Now I listen to it again, I realise how absolutely brilliant it is because, I mean, there's so much going on, even though it's a, a, it's a sweeping kind of ballad, it's kind of got, it's got so much going on in it. Uh, uh, in a way, it sounds a little bit like a, a new version of If You Were With Me Now. It's kind of like what, this is what If You Were With Me Now should have sounded like, yeah, but didn't quite. So, uh, but no, it's, a, it's a great song. I think at the end, I'm going to be, you know, have a lot of Kylie Smilers on this album, <laughs> just, just, <laughs> just looking at it and, and, you know, reliving them. It's, it's actually quite a brilliant album. For me too. I, mean, I agree with you. I think I'm the more, the, as I've said, I've listened to it again recently and the songs are much stronger than I remember. And, I, and I'm feeling, feeling a bit bad that I've neglected this album. But, mm. So I might have to uh, befriend it again. The next song is Automatic Love. This is similar to Dangerous mm. Game. Uh, it's got a similar tone to that song. Great production. Um, when I was listening to it, I found myself singing along to the chorus. And I think it is actually probably one of my favourites uh, on the album. I really like I see, it. I, I like the verses more than the chorus, but um, I love the production of it. And like the song before it, they both have great endings. <laughs> both songs end brilliantly. They end yeah. in a very dramatic way, which I really like. So um, yeah, this, is, this was a good one. I think she performed it on TV a couple of times. So I remember her, her performing it somewhere, but I don't know why. I think maybe just to push the album. But they're, they're good album songs. They're certainly not singles. Where Has the Love Gone is the next track. I, I like this. Kylie's gone back to dance territory with this, with this track. It... it up until this point, you've got these great kind of dramatic, sort of encompassing, big orchestra, orchestral songs. Up until this point now, hearing this song, it feels a little bit left of center compared to what we heard previously on the album, which isn't a bad thing, I don't think. I think we needed it to have a bit of a break because you are heading back to the dance territory. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when you compare this to Where Is The Feeling, this sounds very clubby. It sounds like something you'd you'd have to be slightly on drugs to listen to because it's kind of relentless and it's not, it doesn't have a pop sensibility. So I didn't like this one the minute I heard it. In some ways, it feels like it should have been a bonus track on a, on a single. Um, I don't know. I mean, you listen to it now and it's got, it's got it's very well produced and it's got a really yeah. chunky bass line. It was a little too clubby for an album. I mean, it, as I said, this album to me sounds like a coffee table um, album that you play maybe in the, in the background to a dinner party. But I think when this song comes on, this is the way you kind of lose that kind of kind of intimacy in a way, because the previous songs, they feel a lot more, um, you feel like you're, you're drawn into them. While this one's a little bit kind of like, almost like you're walking into a shoe shop. It's like a shoe shop song. <laughs> shoe zone. <laughs> One of those things where the music's there to make you walk at a certain pace around the shop. So that's how I feel about this particular song. So it's not one of my favourites. and It could stand out today on, on the dance floor, I reckon, still to this day. Falling is the next track. So we're heading back to the dance territory again with Falling. I, I think this is one of the most underrated tracks of the album. And this, I know you're going to probably punch me for saying this, but this should have been a single instead of Where Is The Feeling. Now, it, dare I much, ask... It's much more of a commercial song. Now, dare I ask, have you heard the original Pet Shop Boys version? No. The, the demo version. They put it on one of their albums. I think it was on... I don't know which one is on one of their ex albums where they got the extra tracks. Uh, it might be on Very, and that is pop-tastic. It is amazing. And it's, it sounds completely different to what is on this album. So when I heard Pet Shop Boys have recorded the song, I assumed they were going to do a song that was going to be like Liza Minnelli, where it was going to be this camp kind of pop dance anthem that I'd love and fall in love with because I love Pet Shop Boys. 
And then when I heard it, I thought, oh, God, it's a bit kind of like, there's not much to it, because there wasn't really much of a song in there, except all the falling in love again yeah. and again. And, I, and I, didn't, I didn't really warm to that. Years later, Petrol Boys released their demo that they sent Kylie, and I thought, ah, that's exactly what I expected it to sound like. But apparently Kylie at the time thought it was just too stuck in Kim Waterman for her. So yeah, that's why it sounds like it does. Not my favourite, but then when I was listening to it again recently, it did sound strong. It's got a great bass line again. Yeah, and, 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 there's, like, there's an undercurrent that's in the song that builds and builds and builds <laughs> from the start. And then when it gets to the chorus, the falling in the, it's like proper, you're into it then. I love it. But it is again, like the previous song, um, it's very much a kind of club song that you probably have to be off your head to listen to. Because you can imagine... <laughs> You can imagine being in a dark, sweaty room and that music just pumping away and that kind of high vocal that, that's there. That song and that, that bass line would really get you going. Yeah. I mean, if, if hindsight, I would release this as my, the third and final single on the album. Totally. Oh, interesting. I, I, I weirdly disagree. Well, actually, <laughs> not weirdly, I disagree completely. Um, but there you, go. there you go. Time Will Pass You By is the final track on the album. Um, and People Production, it, it, the most upbeat song off the album, um, which I think is probably needed for this kind of journey that we've been on from Confide in Me, you know, through the EDM dance sort of proper, you know, drug-fueled straight to the happy place, I think. I think that the journey makes sense and it's much needed on the album. And people were huge at this point. They'd had so many big hits, like Moving On Up and Renaissance, and they were dance floor kings and queens. They were, they were brilliant. So it was kind of interesting to hear what they were going to do with Kylie on this album. But it kind of, in a way, it, this sounds like the cheapest song on the album. It sounds mm-hmm. like a Stocking Awardsman song, and it just sounds a bit tinny. And it, it sounds very MP, but it just sounds like it's one of their songs that they just said, oh, look, oh, look we've written a song for you, but really they've taken out their files of songs that they didn't use. Um, <laughs> There's a good melody in there, but I think the production just sounds a bit cheesy and a bit tinny and doesn't sound as, as majestic as any of the others. The other sound really, the other sound like money's been spent on them. This sounds like it's just been, they've gone down the pop pound land and picked up a cheap hit. <laughs> luckily, luckily, they never released it. I mean, I was fearful at one point when I thought the album wasn't doing very well. I thought they might use that one as a, a way of getting the old pop fans back in. And I think if that had come out, it could have been quite disastrous for Kylie because I think people would have thought, oh God, she's, she still sounds like she did five years ago. Not yeah, yeah it would have been a mistake going from Confide in Me to, again, back to Time Will Pass You By. So mm. I, 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 still, I think it, I still like it. I'm, I, you know, it is not, like, not one of my favourites, but I, I like it on the album. I think it's much needed. Mm. So that's the last track on the album. There's so much talk that you kind of expected it to be 12 to 15 or something. I mean, mm. she, did re- she did release a few years later like an expanded album, but it was kind of remixes of the remixes, songs. Remixes, yeah. It did leave out a brilliant remix of um, Confide in Me that was on the B-side to, um, on the CD single of Put Yourself in My Place. And it was this kind of like housey version of it, which is brilliant, which you can't find anywhere, I think. But um, yes, it was, as a whole, looking back, it, is a, it was a lot better than I remembered. At the time, I was just a little bit disappointed because nothing compared to uh, Confide in Me. Christian, do you have any Kylie Minono's on this album? Um, the only Monono I can think of is, is uh, Where Has the Love Gone? Because I just, for me, it seems to just meander and feel slightly not right on the album. It feels like it shouldn't be there. And it's the one that I least like and I, get, I never, get, never get to the end of. I think also for the first time in the podcast history, I, I don't think I'm going to select a Monono. I like them all. Are you I, saying I this think, perfect? <laughs> I, think, I think it is. Because listening to it, I mean, 
not every song is as, as, as strong as, you know, the Confide in Me and Put Yourself in My Place, which I'm probably going to select as my two favourites off the album. Mm. But I don't think there's... A, I think they all work and the, the, the journey of the song works as a whole co- cohesive piece. I don't think there's any clunkers. No, I mean, I would have loved to have had those two B-sides from Confide in Me. Oh. Uh, I would have liked to have had those two just before the, the M People song. And I just think it would have given the album a little bit more variety uh, because it just feels like once you get the dance one, once you get past, uh, once you get to Where Is The Love Gone and then you have uh, the Pet Shop Boys song, it just becomes a bit of a relentless dance mix that just kind of kind of fades out. It would have been nice to have a bit more kind of a mix, a bit more, more of a variety of sounds for me. Before we go and select the tracks for the definitive diminutive collection for our playlist, mm. let's talk about Kylie the Actress, because this is the year, 94 slash 95, where she went balls deep into American filmmaking, uh, first with Street Fighter. Should we talk about that? Yes, I mean, that's the only one I've seen. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched it recently. It's been on Sky Movies quite recently, and it's a pretty bad film. It opened in December 94 in the US uh, and Kylie signed on to star in the Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, Street Fighter film to play British intelligence officer Lieutenant Kamek. <laughs> and she's English. Doesn't she play an English character in it? Yes, in a very bad English accent. Yeah. Um, the, the original Street Fighter was invented in Japan in 87 by Capcom, one of the world's first companies specialising in arcade entertainment. Um, but when you're when you play an arcade game and there's probably not much character to draw on if that makes <laughs> sense uh, the character of cammy was said to be an expert in assassination techniques and was fond of green leotard so that really wasn't <laughs> enough for kylie to develop a really strong character <laughs> for this for this performance <laughs> the film was shot in location in thailand vancouver and the gold coast in australia and was basically universally panned uh when it came out into the cinemas uh, even so, that a film critic in the Washington Post, Richard Harrington, dubbed Kylie the worst actress in the English-speaking world. <laughs> well, uh, years later, she would go on and voice her disappointment by saying, I should have learnt my lessons by now. I was lured into Hollywood to make an action movie and was totally left uninspired by that. It seemed like a good, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but don't ask me why. Now it just makes me cringe when I think about it. Um, Apparently, she also had a little sexual liaison uh, with Jean-Claude Van Damme during the making of this film. Well, I'm not sure if I believe that because she's got very good taste in men. And even though he was in this prime back then in, in, the, t- uh, in the 90s, uh, um, he doesn't look the kind of type of man that she'd go for. If you look at some of her, uh, her oh, other lovers. Wait till we talk about Biodome because I have a little fact about that as well. So I think she might have. Oh, really? Well, I've never seen this film. I, never have, I have no intention of ever seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> it looks terrible. So you might have to explain to me what the I film's about, who's in it. Be- before we talk about Biodome, let's talk about Where the Wild Roses Grow. Because ah. this came in between uh, Street Fighter and Biodome. So this song ah. was released in October 95 now, went to number 11 in the UK and number, sh- and number two in Australia. So the Austra- we Australians lapped this up like catnip. Um, and what I find so interesting about this song and what I love about it so much it, that it's a murder ballad. And these songs originated in the 18th century in England and then were spread globally. So up until that point, I think there'd only been about 
two successful murder ballads within popular culture that resonated. So Banks of the Ohio, which was an old traditional country song that was recorded by and probably made famous by Olivia Newton-John and people like um, Dolly Parton have all recorded it. And then you can also put Richard uh, Marx's Hazard to that list as well. Um, So I I think what elevated this was, again, something so different and new and having Nick Cave basically speak the lines while Kylie sang in, in, in response and the video being so iconic that it kind of uh, re- resembled the, the painting Ophelia by John Everett Milas from the 1851 era. It, it, it all was packaged beautifully. And I, I think it's one of her most defining career moments at this point. I mean, it was unlike, well, again, it was unlike anything she'd recorded before. And even though I like high energy pop, I also have a penchant for um, quite dark, depressing, but very melodic songs. So when I heard that song for the first time, it, I, I was blown away because it has such a gorgeous, gorgeous melody. I'd never really heard any of Nick Cave's songs before. I, I knew his name, but I knew he was quite um, left of centre. But um, this was a beautiful, beautiful melody, very catchy. I, I remember it straight away. It was beautifully uh, orchestrated, beautifully produced. Then the video, I mean, it looked like a painting, didn't it? I mean, every, every clip, every yeah. setup looked like a, a beautiful, beautiful painting. Um, and it was one of, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And it got to number 11 in the charts, but you know what? It's one of those pieces of music that it's not going to be loved by the, the dance floor clubbers, but it's one of those songs that I think it always it leaves a, a mark on you in some way. There's a place in everyone's heart for it. She also re-released this for the Abbey Road sessions as well. It kind of sounds similar-ish. There's nothing kind of new with that um, edition of it. But I, it's, I really, really love this song a lot. I really, really do. Um, so that's why I wanted to kind of talk about it now, because it doesn't really fit into the Impossible Princess or this. So uh, Beth thought Beth would just discuss it now. Um, and then this brings us on to Biodome. Uh, was released in January 96, starring Paulie Shaw and Justin Bieber's father-in-law, Stephen Baldwin, from Threesome and uh, a few what a, other... What a, what a reference, Threesome. is one of my favourite films. <laughs> um, so you've not seen this, you said, right? I've never seen Biodome. I may have... I think I bought it. I've seen it once all the way through, and I started watching it again yesterday in preparation for this and got 20 minutes in and turned it off. Oh, um it's probably her worst career move ever, even more so than Street Fighter. Kylie said that she can't bring herself to watch it. I hope I never see it, she said. Kylie's supportive parents were also not very supportive of this project, with her dad saying, I can't believe that you did that film. It was diabolical. <laughs> <laughs> the film was a vehicle for Paulie Shaw, who at that time was an up-and-coming comedian uh, who had success with Encino Man. Uh, but I think in, a, in the UK it was called California Man with Brendan ah. Fraser. Mm. Um, so several years after Paulie Shaw said in an interview that he had a steamy six month fling with Kylie oh. after the movie wrapped I fell in love with her big time I didn't know who she was and she didn't know who I was but we had a great time together so which makes me think she probably did pork Van Damme as well if she's going for all the co-stars but the film was about these group of scientists who get locked away in this eco-preservation and I have to stay there for a year to live off the land and all that kind of stuff within this biodome sphere thing. 
and these two dimwit characters think it's a shopping mall and go in and pee in there and they get locked in. It's horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. Mm, I, I've stopped listening. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds terrific. I would, never, I, I would never watch it. I mean, I've got the DVD if you want to borrow it. No. <laughs> I, I think I have it somewhere. I do believe I have it somewhere. So going back to the whole musical side, what songs are we going to put on our definitive diminutive playlist? Before we do go, we also should point out that around this time, Kylie met a man who was to change her life. Ooh, yes. Tell us more. Because, well, it was William Baker. So William, William Baker was very influential in Kylie's career um, for, for many, many years, like a, over a decade, uh, was her, kind of her creative director and he, her muse. Um, I think the legend is that he was working at Vivian Westwood on, on the King's Road. She came in, I think, with Katrina uh, doing some shopping and he, you know, was very ballsy, was a massive fan, obviously had all dreamt of working with her, went up to her and basically cornered her and spewed out what she should be doing from a creative point of view. And they exchanged numbers and, yeah, he then went on to her team and and the first thing he did was... Um, that sort of be the creator behind Impossible Princess, the tour and stuff, which we'll get onto that next week. But yeah, this is the very kind of start of William's influence in, in Kylie's mm. career, a positive influence at the beginning. So yeah. So which, which songs should we put on this definitive, diminutive collection playlist? So I would suggest that, um, so we're avoiding the singles, aren't we? No, we can put the singles on. We did it for Rhythm of Love. But that's because it was so joyous. But someone's um, confided in me. A confide in me definitely has to be on this, right? Yes, all right. Then we'll be, when we do the final album, we'll have to select the best singles, the joyous singles, and then the two album tracks. So album-wise, I would have to say, God, you know what? I'm not going to go for anything on the album. I'm going to go for the two songs, that are the B-side to Confide in Me. Ooh, I'm going to go for Confide in Me and If You Don't Love Me. Ah, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so I'll put those three on confide in me you don't love me nothing can stop us yeah great well no. Christian we will see you next week for Impossible Princess well, but I better listen to it again because it's again another one of her albums that I haven't really listened to in many years that and Body Language so um, I'm going to have to dust it off give it a spin and see what I think about it but, um, yeah we'll speak next week Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Remember, if you want to get in touch, please do email us at thekyliesmileypodcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at the Diminutive Collection. Thanks so much.